I'm Matt Davis. This is Parts Unknown. In the present day, we're days away from England versus Russia in the World Cup final in Moscow, right? But in 2005, we're in Los Angeles for WrestleMania 21. Woo! The Dramatis Personae, producer Ben wrote that, I had to look up what it meant. It's the characters in a novel or play, according to my Google machine. Uh, helping me take another look at WrestleMania Ghost Hollywood are Carl P.S. Anker. You can't handle the truth. Anton Bam Bam Tolui. Hello there. And from Bad Street, Bedfordshire, it's Dr. Carrie Dunn. Hello. Right, so to start off, as we say, WrestleMania Goes Hollywood. They play film skits featuring the various wrestlers, which were all pretty funny. Eugene as Forrest Gump, Booker and Eddie as Jules and Vincent in Pulp Fiction, Trips as Braveheart, finishing with Stone Cold Steve Austin as Gladiator. Um, I thought this was great stuff. The Doctor seems to disagree with me. What? No, this is terrible. What are you even talking about? The only women that they use are women taking off uh, films where they're either faking orgasms or crossing their legs to reveal lack of underwear. That is the only time they feature women in this section. It's hideous. People are worse wearing underwear. Can we just state that? (laughs) Pretty sure... Even WWE wouldn't put <laughs> Keebler's actual lady bits out there. But they're ripping off Basic Instinct, and, yeah, that's, yeah, no. and that's, what the, that's what the film was. I quite enjoyed the vignettes. And you quite enjoy seeing Trish have an orgasm. Uh, Fake orgasm. No, I liked, I liked, I liked Eddie and... Stone Cold doing Maximus Deximus Meridius from Gladiator. I enjoyed that bit. The rest of it, John Cena doing You Can't Handle the Truth was kind of fun too. It, it, it's stupid. It's hilarious and stupid. It is... Something that is funny in 2005, and then you watch it in 2018, you're like, oh, even when wrestling is bad, wrestling is interesting to look at. It's weird they wrote in The Undertaker. That was the weird thing, seeing Undertaker outside of Undertaker clothes. That was really weird. That was, was, I kind of, kind of, I liked it just for that, actually. <laughs> seeing him actually have a ginger beard and that kind of thing without the hair dye and without the eyeshadow. Yeah, good for you, mate. Okay, so we've established that my sense of humour level is pretty base. Um, what about the actual wrestling card? Just the eight matches on it. Things kick off with um, what ought to have been an absolute cracker. Now, I've, I've evoked some ire already on this show. I feel like I'm about to get panned again by you three here. Ray Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. Producer Ben thought that this was really, really good. I thought it was massively, massively disappointing. Um, Carl? You don't like me anymore, do you? This is really good. What are you talking about? Uh, Ray's constantly fiddling with his mask. Eddie is really cross that he's in the opening match and is not shy of making that known. It's too short. They try to fit loads of spots in instead of telling a story. It was nowhere near as good as it should have been. Uh, Ray does keep fiddling with his mask because Eddie is pouring at it because that's Lucha's style of I'm going to mess with your mask because that's how we can do it. Uh, Eddie very clearly does not like being here and is very much... I can't believe I used to be a main eventer and now I'm doing this. They do pack in a lot of stuff, but the story in it is amazing. And it's it's one of those matches where I don't mind that it's not perfect because I know what it leads to later on. And I know that these two could fight whenever, wherever. And they got that ridiculously hilarious and bad feud that ended up with the uh, child custody papers on a ladder match <laughs> at SummerSlam. Yeah, Eddie and Rey Mysterio can go whenever they wanted. They There are many matches in WWE history and in WCW history where they have matches and it's just basically, we're going to show you what Lucha style is and they are all varying quality levels of good. Uh, there's a little bit where Eddie Guerrero hits the three amigos and just the crispness of his hips as he does the three amigos stuff, you're like, oh wow, Eddie Guerrero was bell to bell top three 
all time. Maybe. It's like Flair, him, Sean. Big call. Big call. Um, Anton, unless we forget that this feud spawned arguably the worst T-shirt in wrestling history, I'm your pappy. Um, what did you think of the match? I'm kind of in, in the middle between you two in terms of it felt like they kind of gave you what you wanted to see out of Mysterio, but we didn't get enough. I don't think we got enough out of Eddie, and I didn't really feel as though the match lived up to how good I know both of them are. I'm not a huge Rey Mysterio fan. I never got it at the time. I don't get it looking back. I think there were people that were better doing what he does. I just love the fact that Eddie Guerrero actually ducks the 6-1 line like everybody should. That's you know, My thing about Rey Mysterio is it's similar to how it is with John Cena and with Roman Reigns now. I kind of feel like they're thrust down your throat in terms of... So Cena's the, you know, the, the permanent face, Reigns is the guy, and Mysterio was the little lucha that can effectively and that's all it ever was all the storyline ever was it's all it, and i just struggled it, you, there was no character development there's no you know all right fair enough, i'll bring his kids into occasion but other than that that's that's kind of it and i just never really i never rooted for him i don't really care if he got swatted away by someone bigger or was the ultimate underdog and so when he doesn't when he just does in, his, in a match like this it's just like yeah he can do that i don't care i'll move on to the next one that was entertaining for 10 minutes Eddie Guerrero would tragically pass away six months after this match. Uh, we, we spoke at length about that last week, Carrie. So I'm interested to get your opinion on, on Rey Mysterio and his WWE time as a whole. Financially, it was a success for him as a, as a character, as a wrestler. Do you look back on it with fondness? Is it, as Anton says, was he shoved down our throats? Yeah, I'm kind of with Anton on this a little bit. And again... I say I wasn't watching when this was actually happening, so I'm kind of watching it in retrospect, knowing what Ray and his knees turned into. Um, yeah, I, the kind of underdog story, there's only so many times that I think you can play that, and that was kind of the only well that they went to for so often, I think, with, with Mysterio. But I liked, I liked this match. Um, I liked, you know, I like when they're kind of getting the the tag teams uh, split into singles matches and getting friends to feud against each other. And I liked that there was a handshake at the end rather than anyone turning heel on each other. Yeah, I th- I liked it. I wasn't mad about it. I liked it. When Eddie does turn heel on Ray, it gets us one of the greatest promos in SmackDown history. So he comes out on the chair and takes out a mask of Eddie, of Ray Mysterio's and basically starts talking like it's Hamlet. Because do you think that makes me happy? Birthday, which I've memorized it because I love it so much. Um, yeah, I'm all in on Eddie Guerrero, and it's a shame that we don't have enough WrestleMania moments and big WrestleMania matches for me to talk, tell you how much I love Eddie Guerrero. Carrie alluded to watching it and how you watch it. I've wanted to raise this for a couple of episodes. So let's do it now, apropos, not very much. How are we watching these now? So, for example, I'm watching them in the daytime on my 40-inch TV. Um, I think it makes a massive difference how and when you watch WWE pay-per-view. So, so Carrie, are you doing similar to me? I mean, I've done that with all of them so far. I, I sometimes watch the live shows on my iPad, yeah. headphones in, very different experience. It is a very different experience in terms of kind of the actual technicalities of viewing. I mean, I tend to watch actually everything on, on the network on the iPad just because it's going to be easier to carry around with me. But I guess the biggest difference for me is kind of the context in which I watch. Um, if I'd been watching WWE while this is actually going on, I can't see me 
carrying on watching it, if I was watching this in order, if I'd been given some of this WWE stuff to watch, particularly the women's stuff. And then I know that I get kind of uh, angry tweets from people saying, you know, it was fine at the time. No, it wasn't. It was 10 years ago. It's not fine at the time. It wasn't fine then. It's not fine now. But yes, and some of the stuff as we get further and further, as we go further and further back, I can kind of make my peace with watching it now and thinking, yeah, okay, things have changed. But yeah, it some of it really worries me. The racism stuff, the sexism stuff, the homophobia stuff. And yeah, that kind of context worries me more, I think, rather than the technicalities of it. Um, the technicalities of it, Carl, I'm going to keep pushing this. Um, <laughs> you are uh, our... Um, token millennial so i'm <laughs> assuming that you watch each show uh split over four or five separate devices in bite-sized chunks uh, ranging from uh in a coffee shop uh paying for an overpriced lighter to on the train to in bed am i right or are you a more traditional viewer you're completely correct i watch this on my playstation 4 my phone and my ipad in different spots if it's a match that i have good memory of so if it was on a top 20 list of WWE matches I might watch that out of order so this Eddie Guerrero Mysterio match I've seen three or four times in the last five years because I really really enjoy it and I'll watch anything with Eddie Guerrero in um, if it's a match I haven't seen before I'll make special effort with my little notepad and go through which is why I'm having these weird oh wait Jericho's not as good as I thought he'd be and oh my god Cena's terrible <laughs> um, fun moments and you know I didn't realise how much I had disdain for Randy Orton <laughs> Um, no need to ask Guy Anton because he's a company guy. What he does is he buys them all retrospectively on Sky Box yep, Office exactly and uh, yep. watches them that way. We, we know that. It was, really, right. it was really awkward. We were doing the, the Sky uh, Lockout podcast the other day and obviously uh, Jeff, the WWE's editor... Uh, sort of, you know, Say oh, his it, full name because it's brilliant. Oh, Jefferson Lake. Yeah. Sounds, sounds, like a, sounds like a wrestler. It's a great name. <laughs> you um, need to get Rob Palmer on that show as well, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> He was obviously, you know, saying, "Oh, if you want to watch Money in the Bank, get in. You can, you can book it now for 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 fourteen ninety nine. And then, and then he said, oh, "That's great value for money." And a kind of awkward silence in the room, just thinking, "Oh, for two thirds of the price." <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to go on to something that I've been really looking forward to talking about, and I'm sure we all have. Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle. 27 minutes of pure class and storytelling. Didn't overstate its welcome, even though it was that long. They got a, a standing ovation. Um, he was just a sexy Kurt who'd make your ankle hurt in the build-up. Um, so we got comedy Kurt in that a bit. But damn if this match was not... One of, if not the best match that we've watched on WrestleMania up to this point, Carrie? Yeah. Certainly in the top five? Certainly top three, I would say, if not the best. Um, Yeah, I haven't even written any notes for this because I was just watching and watching and watching. And the commentary was actually pretty good for this as well. And Kurt Angle, prime Kurt Angle, is exceptional. And it kind of makes what he is now even kind of sadder i think it it makes watching this now even more poignant i think knowing what happens to him certainly physically and the decline that he went through but yeah this is amazing uh fantastic uh ring moves fantastic narrative fantastic storytelling beautiful carl 
You spoke um, on the last episode about about Kurt Angle's golden year, and and it's obviously spoken about how quickly he took to wrestling and how much he accomplished in in such a short space of time. The the beauty of this, a the story was who's the best wrestler, which is always a great great thing when you can pull it off. But you, you've got the the kind of opposites of Kurt who packed all that into such a short space of time, and then Michaels whose career stretched years and years and years. You think about dream matches or dream anything and anything that you like you know what would be your ultimate band lineup or whatever what would be your ultimate wrestling match you would put Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels quite high at the top of that list even you know if it was like alive or dead or whatever and you would pick these vintages of both characters as well one thing I do when I do a lot of fantasy booking in like sports conversations or wrestling conversations is you can't just pick Ric Flair you have to pick the year of Ric Flair because you know, are you going to get brawling Ric Flair? Or are you going to get, I'm going to use those submissions, Ric Flair. And uh, like 2005 Kurt Angle is a machine. Um, I think I spoke about this before. Kurt Angle can do everything, right? You want him to be a monster heel? He can do that. You want him to be an underdog? He can do that. You want to have a technical mat wrestling match? He can do that. You want to have a brawl? He can do that. You want to do submission stuff? He can do that. You want to do some high-flying stuff? He's got the best moonsault. Other than Charlotte's. Like, he can do everything he can do be funny he can be serious he can be like oh i'm um, such a goof too i'm going to destroy your leg so in this entire bill for this thing yeah he does i'm just a sexy cut but then he like ruins sensational sherry he brings back marty janetti in what's meant to be a comedy segment and then he breaks marty janetti's ankle as well and then sean michaels is also there and isn't that weird when you talk about wrestling thing go and sean michaels was also there um there's a great bit one great thing about Kurt is he has this thing where, obviously, when he's entering the end game of a match, he takes down these straps. He does my favourite thing where he once he's taken down these straps, he puts them back on to take them back off. It's like, yeah, it's real end game now. Which is just like, again, small, tiny, goofy things that he has no right no- knowing or learning or understanding about carnival ring psychology. But he could do it because Kurt Angle was a wrestling unicorn. Um, Anton, lavish further praise on this match, please. Not a problem at all. Um, the ankle lock is is my favourite submission in WWE history, and and Sean selling it is just Sean glorious. selling it is wonderful. And I, at the end of it, I mean, obviously Sean should not be able to walk again ever, but it's ju- it's just wonderful. And it sometimes when matches are based around a submission, it's just tr- rushing to the end game. It's just getting to that point where that person taps out because they've got one move that's synonymous with who they are. Kurt could do anything, as, as Carl said. I mean, he, the hang time he gets on his on his moonsaults, the you know, just, just the the mat game. Just oh, it's just wonder. Everything about this match is wonderful. It's 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 one of my favourite matches ever. Never mind of wrestling. It's just just a, it's just a thing of beauty. It really is. I just wanted to say about the submission stuff. Now, when I watch matches with submissions. I often get quite confused because I'm hypermobile. So when I see someone put a submission on, I don't understand why it would hurt because my joints go in weird directions anyway. That's what hypermobile is, is yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. So Randy Orton has hypermobile shoulders, just so you know. But um, yeah, so watching submission moves in general, I'm kind of watching and thinking, I don't understand why that would hurt. And so I will kind of sit there watching it and I'll be trying to kind of move my arms around thinking, why does that hurt? What? What? what how do normal people move their arms or their legs or whatever? Watching Angle and Michaels, I understand that the angle lock would hurt. Even though my ankle would twist that way, I can believe that 
Sean's ankle is hurting because of the way that he's selling it, but also of the way that Kurt puts it on. He makes it look vicious in a way a lot of people don't make submissions look vicious. They put on a submission hold because that's what they do. Mm. But the way that he uses it is vicious. There's two... I was watching this WrestleMania with my friend Michael Hardy, and he said there's two sorts of submission holds and sorts of submission-type matches. So you've got... John Cena has a submission hold that if he... He's like, oh, I'm, this is another way I can win a match. It's a cuddle. Yeah. Where if you, whereas you have Kurt Angle with the ankle lock, and you've got Ric Flair with the figure four, and their entire matches, I'm going to weaken your body part enough because once I get you in that hole, you're gone. You're that's it. That's the end of the match. There was this amazing bit um, when Eddie Guerrero went to go pass the torch to John Cena, and Eddie Guerrero talks to John Cena about the ankle lock, and basically goes, at some point in time, no matter how good you are, no matter how strong you are. Kurt's going to put you in that thing. And that's, he goes, everything will go black. You'll feel pain in a way that you've never felt pain before. And you have to push through. You have to push through. So, you know, you're going to have to do this and do this and do this. And it's this amazing thing of Kurt also does this when he's fighting Sean in this match where he is on the, the beginning of getting the lock in. Sean runs out and Kurt's like, I'm going to catch you in that lock. And then you're done. Like, I'm so good at this submission thing that the moment I finish, it's the end game, which is. Maybe, like he has it, Flair has it, Kenny Omega has it similar with his one wing angel wrestling move. But it's amazing when a wrestler has a thing where you're like, you can't dread it, run from it. Another reason I love this match is because it mixes the sublime with the scrappy. So, yeah, there's the bit where um, Kurt sort of takes an inadvertent blow to the head, doesn't he, from yeah. a stray knee or something, and, as I remember. And. Michaels is trying to do anything he can to get out of the out of the ankle lock, and he's rolling around. And Kurt's going, "Nope, not going to let you go." And then he gets into another position where any other match you wouldn't, you know, he'd just break the hold because you know. I mean, all of a sudden, Kurt sort of maneuvers his body around the back, and he's, uh, Michaels is clawing his way out. And he just, just think, yeah, because it's only put me in an ankle lock. I would do absolutely anything to get out of it, and it's. It just shows how much both these... I know we said it last last week with Michael. It just shows how much both these guys get the artistry of wrestling. Mm. Make sure, if you haven't watched it in a while or you've never watched it ever, do go back and watch this. It's glorious. Um, now for a return to our occasional series, Wrestling Phrases That Make Us Feel Warm and Fuzzy. One of mine came up in this match when JR said that Michaels had returned to a vertical base. <laughs> he, he stood up. <laughs> just sweet, isn't it? Um, Carrie, have you got any? Uh, favourite phrases yeah yeah punk when he's coming out and he shouts it's clobbering time nice. always gives me always gives me the feels <laughs> Carl you'll like that one presumably as a uh, comic book guy Gorilla Monsoon going a drop kick and a beauty Anton <laughs> 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 it's Jericho's never ever because I can't help but do it as well <laughs> Join us for more of those on future episodes. Let us know yours as well, actually, at the PU Podcast. Let's go to the title matches now. Uh, John Cena versus JBL for the WWE title. As underwhelming as you would expect from these two, uh, JBL, the wrestling god, had been murked by Trips and Flair in a pre-match backstage bit, which kind of undercut the, the whole match entirely. John Cena just beat some chump. He, he didn't beat anybody special, did he? Because Triple H and Ric Flair told us so. It's, it's no clinic. Um, it is. This is the classic. John Cena takes, gets beaten up fifteen minutes, and then dramatically overcomes, which is what we didn't know was that will become the the method for future John Cena matches, and we'd all get bored of it after a year. Um, fair play to both these boys. They, you know, we give them nonsense about how they weren't great wrestlers. They both 
didn't mind bleeding, which is like a really bad compliment. But yeah, and also it was re- at the time I was so sick of JBL. This is around about the time where quite a few Attitude Era millennials, people who are millennials now that grew up in the Attitude Era, sort of checked out because you had JBL holding the title on SmackDown for 260 days. And I think Triple H was in the middle of his reign of terror. And the, this big thing about WrestleMania 21 was, yeah, you go Hollywood, but it was also, we're going to remove these old guard champions and put the brand new guard on John Cena and Batista. And it's amazing how it didn't quite work out for reasons that we explained in pre in like the WrestleMania 23 episode, because there was no one later coming around to challenge him. Um, Anton, this was, very, very basic in terms of the thugonomics. Um, <laughs> Cena's first title win, he did his best to ham it up, threw himself into the crowd, rah, rah, rah. But even then, the reaction was pretty tepid. It was pretty tepid. If anyone ever asks you what's your problem with Cena, just say WrestleMania 21. Just that, that is, That's the answer. Because, A, this is this is a poor main event on SmackDown, the, the match itself. Because it is just so formulaic. Cena, five moves, one AAF, what we're calling it. And, and done so and there's and he as Carl said he hasn't really developed since and the crowd weren't you know some of the crowd weren't buying it then and now lots of people aren't buying it so in terms of uh, oh I think he was there was definitely no, clamouring for Cena no no no, no, no no he was popular but the cl- crowd weren't buying what was going on in the ring they weren't happy with the, with the product hmm. yeah he was he was hugely popular but amongst a fan base that you know don't re not don't care about what goes on in the ring, but in terms of don't, except more of a cartoony style sort of in the ring, I think, and that's that's the fan base John Cena has, and that's absolutely fine. But this is it's just difficult to watch and care. And it's basic in two thousand five. This guy, this guy has dominated the you know the, the company what for fifteen, sixteen years, and when you see the genesis of it, you can't. I can't help but go. Why? Other than merch sales. Right, we can get on something a bit better now, Carrie. Triple H versus, versus Batista. Um, of course it goes on last. Um, before we get to the actual match, <laughs> Batista's pyro didn't work. And... Lemmy didn't have the courtesy or couldn't remember the lyrics to a song that he'd written, which was Triple H's entrance music. So he's just kind of going, it's all about the game. I literally watched this this morning and I had to watch it again just because I was thinking... Does he? Does let me actually not know his own lyrics? Let me just not know his own lyrics. It's fantastic. This is literally the best thing I've ever seen on the WWE Network. I'm going to watch it over and over again forever. It's going to be my new Matt Stryker comedy moment. <laughs> <laughs> Triple H gave a eulogy at Lemmy's funeral, he did. didn't he? Um, which is kind of weird. I mean, Triple H was obviously 
big into him, but I don't think um, Lemmy was that bothered about about wrestling um, per se. Um, the story of the match was was the devolution, if you like, of evolution, the dissolution maybe. Um, it was a good match. Triple H was unselfish in putting somebody over. Jim Cornette's been very vocal saying, yeah, it's a 40-year-old dude who's his mate who was absolutely no threat to him because, uh, you know, he, his career wasn't going to last very long. Is that accurate or is it harsh? Well, it's Jim Cornette, isn't it? So probably both inaccurate. But, but he harsh. says so much that some of it will be correct. No, some of it will be correct. a stop clock is, <laughs> yeah. is right twice a day. Um, I don't know. I suppose there is a grain of truth in that. But we've seen that before with Triple H. Even though people are not necessarily a threat to him, he will still squash them or refuse to put them over or make them look ridiculous in some small way. And he doesn't here. Um Oh, again, I like this. It's it's my mate Dave again. I think I think he's really good here, and he looks like a proper champion. And yeah, even though his pyro didn't work, so yeah. It says a lot that this story is a mulligan because they tried it before with Randy Orton and it didn't work. So they tried. I've won the title. Triple H. No, the, the title belongs to me with Randy, and that didn't work. And then that pretty much ruined Randy Orton's potential. And then they went, oh, let's do it with the other guy in Evolution, in Batista. And it, it's amazing how crisper and cleaner it worked as a storyline, which I think says a lot about how Batista understood empathy more. Just understood how to make the crowd empathise with him. Because, like, look at Dave Batista. He's a mammoth human being. Like, why would I ever think he's an underdog or would, like, maybe struggle to, to defeat the daring dude come the big stage? But you go into that match going... He looks kind of scared, which says a lot about him and how he, he can, in the right circumstances, have amazing wrestling matches. Anton, here's a hot take which I'd like your opinion on. Um, evolution, this is something that I, I dreamt up after watching The Nature Boy 30 for 30 last year. Evolution, the purpose of it was actually to make Ric Flair feel better about himself rather than to get Batista and Randy Orton over. Has that got any credence to it? And there's an element of that, I think. It was only ever really about Triple H and Ric Flair. One was, you're right, to sort of satiate the needs and the ego of Flair and sort of recognise what he's done. And it's believable that he would want to give something back to these two other guys coming through. But they didn't really do anything with the other two guys. I mean, you you look at... You listen to the reaction that the crowd gave Batista when he won compared to Cena. Batista's got a bigger pop. Mm Mm-hmm. And they play into in future feuds between Batista and Cena in terms of how their careers mirrored. Well, actually, okay, fine, in terms of, I'm sure, merch sales and the kids obviously were more into, into Cena, but there was a huge groundswell of support between Batista that fizzled post, you know, the faction he was in before. So I think you're kind of right. I think, that, I think, I think that backs up your, your, your point. Evolution exists because Triple H wanted to do his version of the Four Horsemen. And I'll still be really excited when they go into Hall of Fame. <laughs> so he can be a three-time Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can tie, go, yeah, he can tie Ric Flair on three Hall of Fames. Sledgehammer alert in this match. How, how did that spot go down for, for noted I've, uh, Sledgehammer you know what, I've genuinely just stopped caring about Sledgehammers now. <laughs> just please use another weapon. I, I can't say that because it's the past, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he nailed it this time, which is great. Yeah, he does. Which, is, but... which I think is an gr- interesting thing because we're watching backwards. It's clear he misses more nowadays. Yeah. Because the storyline is meant to be he's getting on a bit. But also whereas... in the build-up, he, it was Batista was stopping the sledgehammers, wasn't he? He was using his bare hands to stop a sledgehammer attack. So in terms, that, I think that's why 
in terms of the whole build and the narrative. That's why he could actually successfully use his uh, weapon it's one of, of the choice. Best, it's also one of the best promos, like WrestleMania promo packages of just the video before the match, of just like why Batista rose up and the whole Batista holding the Raw versus SmackDown billboards and eventually giving the thumbs down. Yeah. In 20, 2005, WWE documentary stuff hasn't quite got to the stage where it is today, but that's like one of the, oh, there it is. One of these days you're going to become too good at telling your own myth. So we've talked about the classic wrestling match and the two title matches. Stick around next. We're going to be heaping praise on our favourite, Randy Orton. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome back to Parts Unknown. Hulk Hogan was inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, so he got his moment to uh, talk shit, flex and pose against the evil Muslim Mohammed Hassan, the Italian-American Mohammed Hassan. I didn't really want to talk about this segment because it went on forever and it involved Eugene, but Anton... Um, well, it's, it's, it's not so much Eugene, because, I mean, I think we're all in agreement in terms of just how awful and uncomfortable and just anybody who has learning difficulties, you know, in terms of would see somebody like that or no and it's just it's just horrible so i don't think we need to necessarily talk about that i can't believe how long eugene was in wwe as well this is also worrying but hogan's reappearance so hogan comes off the back of eugene's speech about you know i've i love wrestling and wrestlemania 6 was my favorite memory hulk hogan versus ultimate warrior and then you see the obviously xenophobic racially insensitive you know um sort of portrayal of two foreign characters come and you know that kind of thing so fine wwe deal with that we're used to it absolutely fine but then hulk comes to defend eugene beats up the two guys in the ring and then eugene disappears so hulk doesn't give eugene his moment so effectively hulk comes down to just beat up two darker skinned guys in the ring and walk away with them while the american flag flies in the background because Eugene was his friend, and if you hurt his friends, then you hurt his pride. He, he, he's got to be a man. He can't let <laughs> but, it slide. But <laughs> it, it, it just, given what we know about Hulk Hogan, it's, it's, it makes it even more uncomfortable to watch. He's just come to beat up two foreigners because he didn't really come to protect his mate. So 
Oh, it's it's. There is an episode of Hogan Knows Best. I loved Hogan Knows Best. MTV. You watched Hogan Knows Best. I watched Hogan Knows Best and Brooke Knows Best. Hilarious. Hogan Knows Best is hilarious. Uh, And there is an episode of Hogan Knows Best which is all about this one segment Mm. at wrestling. I remember it well. And how Hogan was trying to get himself into shape because he wanted to look really, really good for this one segment, and. If the crowd pops big when he beats up Mohamed Hassan and you're just like, wow, oh, wrestling. Wrestling's weird and kind of gross. Yep. <laughs> Carrie, anything to say? No, nothing at all. Very good. Good audio. Um, so after that, <laughs> we got The Undertaker versus Randy Orton. Randy in full legend killer mode here. Good hype video beforehand. Um, producer Ben asked, and I wondered this, was Taker on a segue on the way to the ring? He kind of like glided down it was quite a long <laughs> ramp <laughs> he's levitating he's just he's kind of levitating <laughs> my other big note on this was um cowboy bob Arton, or orton needs another doctor like his arm just didn't heal he did not <laughs> it's either like a you know a serious masturbatory ailment <laughs> or it's you know just it just didn't work the cast i mean 30 years the poor bloke Maybe it's not a real injury. No, 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 not been that. Um, so Cowboy Bob was involved in this. We, uh, this was this was a good match, wasn't it? I mean, I know we we sort of loathe to say that about Randy Orton, but I feel like the last couple of episodes we've we've had some some decent Randy. Yeah, I don't think we're loath to say nice things about Randy Orton when he des- deserves them. I think we've been quite complimentary when he's deserved complimentary comments. But yeah, this this, this was fine. I think I'm going to say something vaguely unpopular now in that the more I go back in time and watch these WrestleManias, the less I like The Undertaker. And I find his matches quite dull to watch in that it feels like a box ticking exercise so much of the time. It feels so samey to me. And again, I wasn't watching at this point, and so I'm coming to this completely fresh. And I'm just thinking, yeah, all right, you're going to do old school. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Okay, let's just get all that over with. Let's get to the fact that you're going to win. It just feels really, really dull to me to watch that terrible no, I, thing to no, say. I think that's fair. And okay. I, th- I, think, I think the reason this is better than passable is actually because of Orton, not because of Taker. Taker's doing his same old thing. But it's actually, you know, it's, it's Orton that turns the choke slam into an RKO and, and that kind of thing. You know, so yeah, I think you're right. Like, I've got no problem giving Randy Orton praise because he is physically gifted. He is very, very good in the ring when he wants to be. He's shoulders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is, this, is good. this is good Randy Orton. Legend Killer is one of his best phases because he has a clear, consistent character and motivation and those... And that character is in the Stone Cold parlance is part of his personality turn up to 11. What we know and think of Randy Orton is that he's kind of an entitled dick. So when he's running around WWE, Randy Orton, the character, acting like a kind of entitled dick, you're like, oh yeah, cool. That That's that's interesting. That's something I believe. So when Randy, but it's when Randy Orton's trying to be a baby face. That's when I get confused. I'm like, well, you're not because your resting face is a smirk. Um, something that really stuck out in this match. One, Taz talks way too much. Doesn't let that doesn't let the match breathe. Um, and a, he was not a good commentator, was he? No, he's not. Um, he has a podcast called himself the Human Podcast Machine. Uh, that's not. It's not. 
I mean, I know it's a reference of you. It's not what. <laughs> that's how I feel a lot about Taz. It's like that's not what. It's not as clever as you. <laughs> oh. Um, and, and in the promo package, uh, Cowboy Bob Orton, when he begs Undertaker, when Undertaker hasn't dyed his hair properly, he begs Undertaker. He goes, "Randy Orton is considered by many to be like the future of this business." I'm begging you, please. You know, he won't survive if he has a fight with you. Please spare my boy. And it was that sentence that Randy Orton is considered by many to be the future of this business, which he was. At the time, there were articles on the WWE website calling him the next Stone Cold. And I've said, I've said it before, I'll say it again. The moment they turned him babyface to defeat Chris Benoit at Backlash to turn him, to make, give him the youngest world champion thing, threw so much of like potential down the drain because he just... He'd done everything by then. That was 15 years ago. One thing I'd like to see with Orton. So we've obviously, like you said, the best version of Orton has been the le- has been the legend killer. And now he's a veteran. So why can't he be the dream killer? Why can't he be the killer in terms of you're, you've got to beat this guy if you're coming up from NXT, or if you're trying to get up from the mid-card? You know, why can't he be the guy that's like, I'm going to punt you back to NXT? Because that's believable, because there's motivation for him being the smirking, horrible human being that, you know, in terms of that, that's, that's best, that's the best version of Randy. So that was that. And that was pretty much it in terms of the big singles matches for the men. And next up, Trish Stratus versus Christy Hemi with Lita. Um, I'd totally forgotten about Christy Hemi. She won the Raw Diva search. Trish had spray painted the word slut on her back in the build up. Um, it was an all right match, though, all, all four minutes of it. It was fine. Um, again, we've got JR saying that Trish is just jealous of Hemi's success. Okay, whatever. Um, Trish is quite clunky here in the ring, but she just looks like a star. The way she carries herself and the way that she puts that match together and drags Christy through it, essentially, when she's not that experienced herself. Um, yeah, it's, it's fine for what it is. Any thoughts on Christy Hemi's glittering WWE career, Carl? Not particularly. This whole match, it's a proxy feud for when Lita returns from injury. And it's it's a real shame we don't. there was never a Trish versus Lita WrestleMania match. And we'll have to settle for the Raw main event instead. <laughs> um, from here we go to the first ever Money in the Bank. They said, Anton, that it was Chris Jericho's idea. He was in it with Benoit Edge, Christian Kane, Shelton, and um, Tyson Tomko was hanging around with Christian too. It was good, but the kind of all the headbutts from Benoit and stuff, as we've, we've spoken before, is difficult viewing at the best of times. Mm. But in, in retrospect, it's it, it's the most painful headbutt I've seen. I can remember seeing as well because he lands on Kane's shoulder from the you know, after dying from the top of a ladder, and Kane look obviously starts riding around in pain like he's supposed to, but there's genuine pain there, and Benoit's cut open straight away. And in the right, the, your first thought is the you know the CTE sort of um, scans and the West Virginia study that looked at his brain uh, afterwards the 85 year old Alzheimer's patient reference in the report so it's it's that's just really difficult to watch um, match itself is in terms of a ladder match is it's interesting because it's a slower pace than previous matches which means you have more focus on the individual moments that led to the big spot um, so the ladder matches, especially that follow sort of four or five years later, so the the, the final ladder, uh, Money in the Bank ladder matches at WrestleMania before it gets its own pay-per-view are carnage, and it's difficult to keep up. And then you get the ladder matches at WrestleMania sort of 30, 31, 32, which are fun because they figured out how to do a ladder match. This is Genesis in terms of there's a little bit more story behind each move in this match, which I really appreciate. Um, and it's not... 
the best ladder match you'll ever see. But it's it's good considering they were still trying to figure out how to make it great. And it's also quite clear two or three members, well, they don't know how big money in the bank can be. So the briefcase is just the regular office briefcase rather than the metal one or the one with the logo in front, front of it. And and uh, it's also become apparent like two or three of the performers in this ladder match have no time for this ladder match. They were, like Jericho himself has a resplendent beard, um, but it clearly doesn't think this is a good idea. He, he seems quite unhappy in this ladder match. Christian's trying his best, but he's also like, eh. Um, Chris Benoit, for reasons, uh, is very annoyed that he's no longer in like main event area, but is instead in a ladder match. And I, you get that feeling from quite a few people in this match where they went, why am I in this silly ladder match? I'd much rather be like in the main event. Well, Wikipedia suggested that uh, the first idea was to have a submission match between Edge, Jericho and Benoit, and then the others would have the ladder match around them. That's what Wikipedia Around told them. me. Apparently so. That would have been really, I don't know really that's strange. Wikipedia not explaining things properly, but they <laughs> definitely say that there's a submi- and this, the idea was to have a submission match between those three, which would a make sense and b also explain why they look a bit puzzled that they're in a ladder match. But Edge with the money in that briefcase, even an unbranded one, they probably bought. I was going to say probably bought from Staples. It was at the Staples Centre, so that makes complete <laughs> sense. Um, looks right. Edge with the briefcase looks right. Yeah. You know, and he kept it for a full nine months. Yeah, exactly. Edge, there are you know, you see the old world heavyweight championship belt, and the first person I think of is is Edge in terms of because it's not the WCW, it's the WWE version. First person I think of is Edge. See the money in, in the bank briefcase. First person I think of is Edge. Some people look great with certain tools. I I can't. The Intercontinental title looks weird when the Miz isn't holding yep. it. Um, and this is what I think feeds into what whoever you know we're. By the time this will go out, Money in the Bank, the pay-per-view, would have aired. Um, but I keep trying to think what Finn Balor will look like carrying a briefcase around for four months, and I can't see it. So I'm like, oh, maybe he's not going to win. But also cover his glorious abs, which no one wants. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what he looked like. He looked like a bloke smiling. He looked like a guy who moons lights as a stripper. So he's you know he's done his office job. He's like, okay, cool. Sorry I'm late. I just got to have my work briefcase. <laughs> it's, what was it, it, that's full of his stripper tools. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, I, I love Matt... When, I love Matt obviously as the host can't quite fully say he's trying to get us to say what he feels so whenever there's a scene around he kind of looks at me that Finn Balor smile thing come on what do you really think of Finn Balor I think that he's a terrifically gifted wrestler who needs to do something other than smile his way to the ring all the time basically Um, I'm rapidly losing interest in him unfortunately but not in Edge at this time, who would go on to, I would suggest, maybe do the best cashing ever, the most Edge cashing ever, uh, uh, New Year's Revolution, after Cena had just won an Elimination Chamber match. He comes out with Vince to, to totally legitimise it, and it was absolutely glorious. It's um, the little way he hands it over, two-handed to Vince. He's, like, he's got a little smile, and he just goes, here you are, I'm going to go feast. He's like, oh, he's such a little theatre nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and he went on to give Cena one of the best feuds that Cena's ever had. So the only match we've got in inverted commas still to talk about is Big Show and his nappy against Akibono. Um, it's called uh, Miwashi, the big pant thing that, that he was wearing. It was pretty horrific. There was a lot of Big Show's ass all over the screen. I'm imagining, Carl, you were sports entertained to the max by this. I'm going to admit I didn't watch this. I got to the node and I went, no, life's too short. Skipped it. <laughs> Poor Big Show. Man, but why? <laughs> Apparently Vince was very cross that uh, Akibono was supposed to look ginormous. This was uh, Big Show was on um, Stone Cold's podcast recently. Akibono was supposed to look ginormous, but 
show was in one of his fat phases and was actually bigger. <laughs> My favourite part is actually when Big Show comes out, comes to the ring. So he comes out in a in a sort of traditional Japanese robe with his arms up, sort of you know, waving to the crowd. But he looks like a man who's been marched out by police after a raid at a happy ending massage parlour. <laughs> Like no one wants to be here. Everyone's seen me. Let's let's do let's do this. Let's get on with this. Um, and there's something weirdly, strangely mesmeric about watching Akibono's bulging sort of stomach and crotch fat. In terms of, it's just it's there. It doesn't go away. It it, it wobbles in a way that fat doesn't. Like there's a little bit. There's muscle in there, so it's got a different consistency. It's it's odd. It's really odd. Is just I mean. I don't know why this happened. I don't. I mean, I, I completely agree with Carl. I feel sorry for Big Show that he has to swallow a lot of turds, doesn't he? But this is—that's not a phrase. Um, but this is just—it happened, didn't it? This actually happened, didn't it? Carrie, we, we, this is kind of the um, the equivalent for for straight women or gay men of the um, pillow fight, I would say. So, <laughs> just how aroused were you by the sight of these two behemoths? Not not so much, I have to say. Um, Big Show actually looks embarrassed when he comes out. He does. And that actually kind of put home to me just how bad this was going to be because if Big Show looks embarrassed by something he's going to do, you know it's going to have to be bad because, as we've said, Big Show has done a lot of terrible stuff and he's just kind of sucked it up and not really bothered that much. But, yeah, this was embarrassing. It was bad. Yeah, I mean... Good on Big Show for getting through it, but let's not forget he got a 10-year, million-dollar downside per year contract, so we, we shouldn't feel that sorry for him. Um, we're kind of wrapping up now. Let's have a look at the Hall of Fame. I'm going to suggest and ask the question that this is the best Hall of Fame class there's ever been. Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, Bob Orton, Jimmy Hart, Paul Orndorff, Nikolai Volkov, The Iron Sheik, and Jimmy Hart, whose birthday is on New Year's Day. There's a fact for you. Carrie, where does Jimmy sit on your Heart League table list? <laughs> He doesn't fit into the Hartley table list, sadly. You have to be um, genetically related rather than just share the name. But, um, no, this is a great Hall of Fame class. I feel a little bit bad for Roddy Piper because I think, like, any other year yeah, he would have been the, be the headliner. headliner. But, um, yeah, um, yeah, great stuff. But I guess the counter to that, Carl, is that Piper got a Piper's Pit segment as part of the show with um, Stone Cold and eventually with, with Carlito. Um <laughs> who was also there is that kind of deference to the fact that Piper was such a big deal that he he deserved the spotlight to be on him in a way that it wouldn't be if you're in a class with Hulk Hogan it's just typical Hulk Hogan shafting Roddy Piper one more time there's a great um, there's an episode I think of David Shoemaker's podcast when he was on Grantland where uh, Hulk Hogan is talking about how certain people used to go up to him and go hey like how do I get into the main event? It's like, well, you know, if you let me beat you once, then eventually we can feud back and forth. And, you know, Hulk Hogan's working shoemaker. Like, yeah, you know, I feuded with all these people. Roddy was the only one who would never let me go over him because Roddy was like, obviously you're not going to, like, let me beat you in response. You're always going to beat me and disappear, which is true. Like, Roddy was one of the only people ever wise to just, like, how bad Hulk Hogan was as a person. <laughs> Anton, do you think that it was Piper's idea or, say, Vince's to have it be Austin as the person that he interacted with in the ring? I think it would have been Vince's, but I think it would have been a concession to Roddy, if that makes sense. Because, obviously, they haven't really they haven't worked together in the past. And it was quite funny watching 
Roddy do his whole, I'm I'm confused by who these people are because I clearly I don't watch a product anymore. That's his gimmick. Even if he does, Vincent, that was his, that was his gimmick. I'm, I'm old. I'm, I'm too cantankerous for this. Didn't like getting the what treatment, did he? No, no. but then he handled it well, and which which worked perfectly. And then they, the riffs between Rod, uh, Roddy and Stone Cold in terms of, you could just tell they're just two cantankerous men that like working a crowd and they could probably, you know, in terms of, if they, I, I'd sit there and watch that for a bit longer. Actually, didn't need Carly, so just let them go at each other and, you know, see where it went. I was quite in, kind of intrigued to see what was going to happen before everything's cool man came down because he had one phrase and that was cool and obviously ate the bat. Look when Roddy taking the apple from Carlito. You're like, yeah, there you go. That's the guy I like. We love Roddy Piper, but let's not overlook no. like the horrendous, horrendous like racial gimmickry yep. heel stuff he ever did uh, that we still kind of laugh about. And I can still think of terrible things Roddy Piper did. And I would laugh about it. Just like, what's wrong with me? He did terrible things, but... He was funny and always sunny as well, so there you have it. <clears throat> so that was WrestleMania 21. What a great show it was. Um, my moment is going to just be all of Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle. Has, has anybody got anything other than that? Um, there is a woman in the crowd for that match who is such a Shawn Mark, and any time he is in the angle... It's not sunny, is it? <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's just leave it there then, shall we? <laughs> Um, anybody? So that is so woman in crowd. Even that is is Sean Kurt or Jace. There, there's Triple nothing H else. Dunking there. on JBL was very funny too. And Chris Jericho's hair. Oh, and also like when Kane came out, the the ladder set on fire. That's a nice oh, yeah. touch. That's a nice touch. Actually, Kane can make things come out and fire come out of mainly other than things than the ring posts. Well, well, I like that. And now he can solve problems like potholes in Knox County. So good on him. Uh, right, we're going to take a break for a couple of weeks. It's the summer holidays after all, so we'll see you soon. Keep up to date on at the PU podcast to find out exactly when we'll be back. It may be just in time for SummerSlam, you never know. Anyway, when we do return, we'll be breaking down WrestleMania 20 from Madison Square Garden, Eddie and Benoit's crowning moments, Goldberg and Brock's farewell fares badly, and Undertaker versus the future mayor of Knox County. Carrie, where can people get you on Twitter? At Carrie Sparkle. Carl. And Command 616. And Anton. At Sky Anton. We are at the PU Podcast. I am at Matt Davis FC. Rate and review, share and subscribe. I'm Matt Davis and this has been Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.